You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Earth Station One. That's right, folks. We are back and we are here to talk all about Good Omens, the Amazon special that was on, well, miniseries special, whatever you want to call it. It takes the Neil Gaiman book from 1990 and puts a little sprinkle of Terry Pritchard in there, and it is magical. And it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. And remember, folks, we are going to be spoiling all about it. So be prepared. If you haven't seen it yet, put us on hold. We can wait six hours. Go watch it. Enjoy. You'll love it. And speaking of loving it, let me introduce my co-host, the man, the myth, my evil counterpart, Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy! You ready for some good omens, my friend? I am. I think we've been ready to discuss this. You know, eventually this would have been on our book club at some point. So It might still be. I was going to say, it still could be at some point. But uh, the fact that we get to talk about this uh, miniseries is is good as well and for those people who've read the books we will be talking the book we will be talking about the book uh a bit because it's hard not to for those of us who have read it so uh but we won't be you know going into like huge i mean obviously if you've seen the miniseries you've probably got the book spoiled for you to some extent so yeah so there will be some of that but you won't have to have read the book to uh listen to our review but that's what i'm so trying to say exactly long-winded way of saying you don't uh, you can still enjoy it Oh, yeah, but it, you would do need to at least watch it or read it or both to Absolutely. enjoy the segment. Yes. Yes, yes. I would definitely recommend uh, both watching and reading the book and the series and then, you know, and then listening to us. Or if you feel like complaining about it, please write Netflix. So <laughs> Exactly. You know, it's, or if you want to, you know, say hi to us. We always love email. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. Definitely would love to hear from you guys. Always nice to hear from our friends, our critiques, our, you know, listeners. You guys, please, please definitely write us. And also a special shout out, of course, to our patrons. Have to definitely say hey to everybody. Want to say hi to some of our patrons right now. Want to say hey to Jen Adams. Say hi to Michelle Phillips. Also want to say hi to Mike Seals. You know, there's many, many others, but yes, Definitely want to say hi to our patrons. And you can become a patron, too, of the ESO Network. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. And we have four levels that you could help support the station with. And we appreciate all of you from the dollar level all the way up to the 15. You know, each one of you has a special part in my heart. And we just want to say thank you for everything out there. All right. We got a lot to talk about this week. Our rants and raves. Tonight we're going to be talking all about Vertigo, which was an imprint of DC Comics. And it'll be definitely sad to see it go. It's been around since the early 90s. And, you know, it basically was more for the more mature comics and more like creator owned stories and such. And, at the time, you know, some of the comics that DC was doing was a little bit too, becoming too mature for the general readers. So they created Vertigo. And it was an amazing 
run they had and some of the greatest um, series that, you know, started it. You know, for me, it, you know, I know Sandman was one of the first ones by Neil Gaiman, who we're going to be talking about a bit in a little bit. And we also, of course, had uh, Hellblazer and also Swamp Thing were, I think, the first three, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that might be. I I believe Saga the Swamp Thing started as a DC book. So and, did Sandman, actually. Oh, that's you're right. You're right. And then became, uh, once they had, uh, they realized that um, Sandman as well as Swamp Thing were attracting a different kind of audience than the normal DCU books. And so they, they realized that, um, and plus they were getting this huge wave of, of English writers from the UK, uh, English writers to, uh, that had a different sort of sensibility. So, um, they decided to, yeah, DC decided to, uh, uh, create this imprint and it really has to be credited to, uh, Karen Berger who, uh, with the, um, the quality uh, of there would be no vertigo really, as we know it, if it wasn't for Karen Berger, um, she, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing her right. If it's, not, you are, if it's you are. Not Berger, but um, uh, I mean, she was a great editor before she uh, tackled um, vertigo, but boy, did she really make a name for herself there? And you're right. They had, you know, Sandman Hellblazer, which Hellblazer spun out of Swamp Thing. Right. And, uh, but and then, then you also, but then you also had like, um, you had Animal Man, you had Doom Patrol, and then you also, of course, had Why the Last Man. Uh, yeah, that came a little bit later. Um, yes. but, uh, you had, uh, Books of Magic, uh, was one of the first ones, I think, too. Uh, you also had Shade the Changing Man. Yep, Shade the Changing Man. Um, uh, Black Orchid, which was uh, Gaiman's first work for DC, which uh, I actually have that original series. Um, I remember getting it at the time and being kind of blown away by that. Um, but uh, yeah, the first comic actually published under the Vertigo imprint was the first issue of Death, The High Cost of Living, which was another spinoff of Sandman. And it was... Man, that was a huge deal. That was like that comic was was off the chain. Like that, that I remember when that came out, it was a huge deal. Um, it was a great miniseries, fantastic miniseries, um, and yeah, there was just tons. Of, like if if I had to list all the titles and books from Vertigo that I that I bought and I read and I enjoyed, we wouldn't have enough time actually for the for to talk about Good Elvins because I or to have a geek seat or anything else because. There's so many good, great uh, series that came out with uh, the Vertigo imprint. Oh, and, very much so. Some of them have been made into major movies. Some of them haven't. Some of them yeah. are just comic book properties, and they're just awesome comic book properties. Uh, sure. You know, I know everybody talks about Sandman, and rightly so. But for me, during that time, during the 90s, uh, my favorite Vertigo imprint, the one I, I I ran to the store to get and read, uh, ran home and read right away, top of my stack was Sandman Mystery Theater. Really? Uh, yeah, I'm a big. I've always been. I don't want to say always, but I'm a huge Matt Wagner fan, and uh, Matt Wagner with Steven Siegel and uh, Guy Davis was just perfect. Like I love, love, love that series. Um, oh, it, it was awesome because I was a huge Silver Age and Golden Age characters 
And it was the Sandman, Wesley Dobbs. Yeah, but you didn't even need like, you know, that sort of, like I didn't have that history with him. Uh, but you didn't need it because it, what they were doing was they were reinventing his backstory and reinventing his re- relationship with um, Diane. Um, it was just such a great series. I, I, I wish, you know, it had been collected in a really, really beautiful format. And it still might at some point, but uh, that was one of my favorites. Um, you know, obviously when I think 2000s came, all of a sudden, you know, the other, like the Sandman was over. That run was over. Uh, Swamp Thing was long since over, I think, by then. There was some there was some books that were there, but it really, like Vertigo kind of got a resurgence with uh, one book that you talked about just a little while ago, Why the Last Man, as well as Fables. Oh, uh, you, Fables was amazing, but you also had Preacher. And and those, I didn't read Preacher, but you're right. Uh, but those three books, like all of a sudden people were paying attention to Vertigo again. Mm, you also um, had 100 Bullets. You also had right, which the, I the Losers. Uh, one of the books that I also collected, uh, I think it was my first real introduction to Grant Morrison, was The Invisibles. Yes. Uh, my 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 introduction to Warren Ellis was Transmet- Transmetropolitan. Mm-hmm. That's another thing that Vertigo did. It introduced me to a lot of great creators that I that were doing uh, independent work, but I wasn't able to find them as as because they weren't as widely available. But Vertigo made uh, a lot of those guys household names. If you're talking about comics, I mean Astro City got its start as a Vertigo book. Mm-hmm. Then it spun off into one of the other DC imprints. Yeah, I think it's gone through like three or four imprints uh i zombie uh was also a uh, vertigo book yep just just tons and tons of good stuff and um once uh karen Berger left uh, i think in the early uh, 2000s or so um uh shelly bond took over and uh she was she was a great uh successor to that position but she only lasted like i don't even think she lasted five years until dc like restructured it and they were doing a lot of sorts of stuff and they, they bumped Kelly, I mean, Shelly out. Um, and uh, then it really, you know, they tried to do a, a resurgence again with uh, some titles. Uh, I think the Doom Patrol, right? And, uh, and some other titles that had to do with, um, uh, what's the guy that's uh, from, uh, that does Umbrella Academy that's uh, in that band? Oh, Umbrella Academy? Yeah, but the Umbrella Academy is not a Vertigo book. No, of course. No, that was Dark Horse. Right, right, right. But, but he did, like, they, they hired him to do some titles that I think they tried to resurge, like, um, Vertigo a little bit. And, look, they've had, like, they have some Sandman spinoffs because they tried to recapture the magic. But, really, I think uh, they realized that uh, they well, that just... Was, that was Gerald Way. That's who I'm talking about. Okay. They, uh... But they just couldn't really get the magic going again, and uh, and now DC has decided to uh, they have a a seventeen and older uh, label called Black Label, which they've already already released a couple books in that, and then that's the way they're going in the future. So so Vertigo is no more, but boy, uh, while it lasted, man, there was some really really amazing books that came out of there. No, definitely, and it's it was interesting and. 
I loved a lot of the Vertigo, and as over the years, I came and went with it. But you know, there was just some that I have just still discovering now, and you know, still going, wow, these are great. And you know, I just they're tons of fun, and folks, there are a lot of them are in trade. And if you get a chance, please, please take a peek at that. You know, yeah, there's there's just so many. Yeah, I mean, obviously you can, you know, do a, a Wikipedia and look at all the titles that uh, was under the vertical label. And uh, you'll find, like, actually, if you click on any of them and, and you go to, you know, Amazon or wherever, uh, although go through the go through our store when you do so, uh, go through our site when you do so to buy them, you, I don't, you're not going to have a, a bad experience. Uh, no, exactly. All of these books are solid. I mean, even... I can't think of ever reading a Vertigo book and going, ugh. No, definitely not. And and a lot of these, like I said, introduced me to uh, guys like Grant Morrison, uh, Howard Chaikin, uh, Scott really? Snyder. Yeah. You uh, didn't know Howard Chaikin before that? I didn't. I didn't. Wow. You didn't I know. See, I know. You, you didn't read like his Shadow or no. American Flag? Actually, and- I'm sorry. I did read his Shadow. Uh, okay. But I wasn't really but anyway, um, but uh, wow, Mike, Mike Carey, uh, who later went on and did uh, the um, Lucifer books, uh, Peter Milligan, Bill Willingham, uh, Stephen Siegel, which we already mentioned, Grant Morrison, Brian Azzarello, uh, just tons and tons of talent. Garth Ennis, um, just like Paul Cornell did a series. I wasn't introduced to him there, but Jason Aaron did one of his first uh, series, Scalped, where I remember that getting a lot of attention. Oh, Scalped was awesome. Uh, Tom King, uh, Sheriff of Babylon, uh, Volumes 1 and 2, which I reviewed with uh, Jay over at Story Geeks. Uh, that was a, a great uh, two-part series, or two-volume uh, series that uh, I recommend. So, yeah, lots and lots of good stuff, lots of great titles, and uh, I'm kind of sorry to see it go because it sounds like, you know, that that, that point in time is over but i can tell you that in a way vertigo comics isn't necessary because the independent market i think is so strong that it doesn't need vertigo like image is doing you know books that vertigo was doing before like like saga is a perfect example of a book that probably 20 years ago or 15 years ago would have been a vertigo type oh very much so it's like you know basically if you think about it the comic industry was a lot different 30 years ago yeah when you know vertigo pretty much was dreamt up and you know this was more of a chance for a lot of the more independent people people who don't do typical superhero stuff to be able to get their comics out get their stories done and this was a perfect way to do it now a days there's so many outlets for more mature comics and the industry is a lot different than it was. So it certainly is. And, you know, it does, you know, kind of live on a little bit. Uh, Karen Berger has an imprint at dark horse called burger books. So uh, I haven't seen uh, what she's been doing over there, but I can only imagine that uh, she's bringing the same sort of mentality uh, to those books as she did with vertigo. So I'm very keen to check out what she's doing over there because I'm sure that much like uh, the uh, the other books, uh, actually I'm reading here and one of her first books over there was that uh, Anthony Bourdain, Hungry Ghost book. Uh, 
that, uh, that Anthony Bernier was part of. So, um, so yeah, which definitely sounds like a vertigo title to me. So she's still got a little bit, a little bit of vertigo, uh, happening over in dark horse. So. Nope. I think it's definitely, if you haven't read any vertigo folks, as Mike and I could talk till we're blue in her face, you know, it's worth it. And they're great stories and just the Neil Gaiman stuff and the Grant Morrison and the big names alone right there is great stuff. But a lot of the smaller titles alone are worth picking up. So please do. We definitely, you know, couldn't, you know, gush about it further, but rest in peace, Vertigo. I bet you 10, 15 years from now, we might see Vertigo back again. You know, Nothing stays dead in comics, folks. You know that, except for Uncle Ben and the Wayne. Reborn. Exactly. Vertigo reborn. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So with that being said, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment with the Geek Seats. This is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. We've got a really big superhero movie swinging into theaters this week. I am super sorry I couldn't resist that pun. Of course, we're going to be talking about Spider-Man Far From Home. It's interesting that they chose to release this movie so soon after Avengers Endgame, and it's almost a little bit sooner than I'm ready for it, if that makes sense. It's just because Avengers Endgame was such a big, game-changing movie for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There was a lot to digest. A lot happened. The status quo most definitely shifted. So it feels like... Even like a couple months later, it's almost too soon for another MCU movie. I kind of wish they had let us, you know, wait a whole year, fully digest this movie. But that being said, I have been hearing a lot of good buzz about Spider-Man Far From Home. The trailers have been really entertaining. I don't know a lot about it beyond the trailers, but that's kind of how I like to approach these movies most times, is just go in and try to be surprised. Um, one of the things that I'm really hoping that this movie will do is that, of course, it's Spider-Man's story, but I also hope that it addresses Iron Man's legacy. If you don't know, Iron Man is my favorite character in the MCU, and spoiler alert here, he dies, of course, at the end of Endgame. And so I'm still not over that, so I really hope that Far From Home kind of addresses that special relationship that Tony and Peter have and whether there's a little message that maybe Tony has left or Peter just reflects on his legacy and kind of taking on the role that Tony Stark had in the world. So I'm hoping that in amongst the laughs and judging by the trailers, there's going to be some great laughs that'll have some quieter, kind of more of those emotional moments as well. Anyway, I'm really looking forward to checking it out and hopefully it'll be a great new addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I hear there's some kind of cool twist that's going to get us really excited for the next phase of movies, which I think is good because, you know, we are saying goodbye to a lot of those famous MCU characters. So we need a good push to get us hyped for the next phase. So hopefully Far From Home will deliver on that. And if you're looking for some new entertainment-related content on your small screens, Stranger Things Season 3 is coming to Netflix. 
I really love Stranger Things. I thought it was a great concept. One of the best original series on Netflix, I would say. I haven't heard much about what the story is going to be about. I kind of like to keep it that way. Again, just to be surprised, I did read one review. I kind of gave into temptation and got curious, but that was almost too much information. So I'm hoping not to see or hear anything else so I can actually sit down and watch the show. This is one where you do kind of worry a little bit about whether they'll start to rehash the concept. I mean, how many times can they go into the upside down? So hopefully they found a good way to kind of keep that fresh. But that's it for this week's entertainment-related content. If you're looking for more entertainment-related news, be sure to check out my blog, boxofficebuzzab.wordpress.com. This week, I've got a review of Toy Story 4 and the movie Yesterday. Got a chance to see both those movies in theaters recently, and if you haven't seen them yet, they are well worth going to the theater. I know it's hard to keep up with all the summer movie releases. They're just coming fast and furious. No pun intended there either. But those two are definitely very entertaining and would highly recommend them if you haven't seen them yet. This week on Myopia Defend Your Childhood. Myopia Defend Your Childhood is a nostalgic movie podcast where we rewatch the movies of the 80s and 90s as we walk down memory lane. From action to animation, horror to sci-fi, we rewatch the movies my panelists and I grew up watching to see how our pasts hold up. Join us every other Thursday on the ESO Network. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Letterboxd, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it's time for the Geek Seat segment, and we got a new guest slash victim for the show this week. Let's welcome Shannon Clute. Welcome to Earth Station One. Hey guys, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Welcome to the station. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, for those people who may not be familiar with you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Shannon. I am a life coach. I actually have recently started a podcast this year called Revolutionary Rebels Podcast. Um, it's kind of cool. Um, I actually have a couple of neat little series and stuff like that, but I also talk about people who I personally think are revolutionary rebels. And so I kind of highlight different people and different things that I think uh, people need to help become better versions of, of themselves. Wow, that sounds like a, a great topic for a podcast. Um, it's, it's pretty fun. <laughs> um, what? How long have you been podcasting? Um, since December. Okay. All right. Yeah. And what was it that made you kind of take those steps into creating and doing a podcast? Um, well, as a life coach, I believe that you should have a life coach yourself. And my life coach actually told me, she's like, you got a great voice. You should do podcasting. And then I went to Dragon Con and somehow ended up at a podcasting panel where I met Mike and it all just like snowballed and went downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, that, it, usually, it usually does go downhill when people meet Mike Favor. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but it was trust me. Trust me, I know more than most. <laughs> he just yeah, said yeah. he was going to get star on the show nine years ago, and look what happened. <laughs> I can't get out. I'm trapped. 
what you're saying. It's, it's a little wormhole, just kind of sucks everything in. It really, it does. It just sucks. Now, uh, now, <laughs> now Mike just guest stars on every other podcast out there. So it's okay. <laughs> well, uh, it's awesome though. I mean, obviously, yeah. uh, you know, uh, we are uh, fond of the medium of podcasting as well. Um, so tell us about your show, what, what it is exactly how it, how it works. Is it just you? Um, right now it is just me, but, um, I do have guests who are going to be coming on here soon. I'm going to be posting those, those episodes soon. Um, and I actually do have a friend of mine who I might try to coerce to be my, my co-host every once in a while. I get a little lonely talking by myself, but I don't know. I have, I have cool messages, so it kind of works for me. Absolutely. Um, down now, um, is it uh, how long is it uh, an episode usually run most episodes around like 25 ish minutes um i did do a series on love languages and those episodes were a little shorter just because you can only talk so long on one specific um type of love language um and it was kind of like meant to be a series deal there's i want to say seven episodes total for the whole thing so those ones i was like ah, i can do those ones a little shorter um I have one that's on Stan Lee. That one's almost 30 minutes. So that's why I kind of say they're usually just around 25-ish. Now, uh, since you've been podcasting, is there anything that uh, has surprised you or something that you didn't expect uh, from uh, starting your own podcast that that you have learned? Uh, Yeah, I hate listening to my own voice. (laughs) So it makes editing a nightmare. I absolutely, like, dread it. Like... Oh, I just cringe every time I have to listen to myself talk. I'm like, do I really sound like that? Ugh, who wants to listen to this? And then I realize a lot of people do. So I suffer through it. <laughs> it's the number one actually response from most podcasters starting out is having to get used to hearing their own voice. Let's just say I have on my, when I make enough money checklist, it's hiring somebody to edit my podcast for me. <laughs> You and me so, both. You and me both. <laughs> so, so help wanted signs are appearing. What was that? So help wanted signs are appearing. Yes. Already. Oh yes. Now, um, before we before we get into the uh, geek seat part, um, mm-hmm. is there anything that uh, maybe from an early age on that you uh, would say is your level of uh, uh, passion or geekdom? Like, is there anything that you really like that that's your thing? I don't know. I have a lot of things that I geek out on. Um, I don't know. Okay. Well, my birthday is Halloween. So anything horror related, I just have a, like a natural love for. Um, <laughs> music has always been in my life. So I always geek hard out on that. Um. But I don't know. I just I kind of like it all, so it's it's kind of hard. Yeah, I mean that, that's cool. Um, it's yeah. it's believe me, I know that uh, there's there's good things and and bad things about being having diverse interests. It it makes it really hard to concentrate on what you want to <laughs> exactly. And if you're collecting stuff, well, it just throws it all out the window. Let's just say my Netflix list is way too long to even mention. <laughs> I think it's in the triple digits currently because I just, I love so many things. 
Now, you mentioned uh, that uh, you had been to DragonCon this past year. Is that a, a show that you go to frequently? Or? Uh, yeah, last year was my fourth year, I think. Excellent. Fourth year, something like that. And I, well, go, I go to a bunch of cons here where I'm from, too. So. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. What was it that uh, brought you to uh, DragonCon for the first time? Uh, my friends. My friends that um, I go to the other cons with, they're like, no, you need to come to Dragon Con. It's just, you just got to come. You're not going to understand it until you come. And I was like, all right, I'll go, I'll go. And then I went and, well, a few years later, here I am coming back. So <laughs> it is, it is quite awesome. We, mm-hmm. the, yeah, we, uh, we love uh, some Dragon Con here on uh, the Air Station One podcast, that's for sure. We devoted another podcast to it. So, Well, there you go. So, um, well, very cool. Well, um, in case, you know, things take a turn and you don't make it out of the geek seat, well, where can people find your podcast and, and it, online? It is like almost everywhere online. I can't find a streaming platform that it is not currently on. Um, but you can find it on Apple, Google, Stitcher, um, Raker, Spotify. Um, I don't know, like everywhere I look, I'm finding it someplace else. So, so it's out there. You'll find it. Awesome. It sounds definitely like it's worth a listen and it's a, like a short one and like, boom, it's like yeah. morsel size. Yeah. Morsel size. Besides that, I want you to keep coming back for more. Yes. Can't give yes. You good good. Stuff right away. <laughs> we haven't learned that lesson. We record and, and talk until people just get sick and fed up of us. <laughs> so they usually only make it 15 minutes in. It's yeah, probably. so you're so you're good. They'll they'll probably make they'll probably turn it off after after this bit here. So okay, cool. Hey, as long as they come and listen to me, I'm happy. <laughs> well, Mike, I do believe that she is ready. Uh, I have been uh, twisting the wires and cables uh, around as we speak, and uh, she, I think she's securely fastened. Well, she didn't realize, you know, there is some torture to being in the geek seat. I forgot to warn her about that part. I don't think you forgot. Some people like torture. Thank you very much. It's true. <laughs> it is. It is true. But there are no safe words. So sorry. Okay. That's okay. All right, Shannon. Are you ready for your first question in the geek seat? I am. Shoot. Okay. Mike, she's too chipper. Tighten it a little bit more. And uh, They always start off that way, Mike. Yeah, I know. I know. What was your favorite geek out moment? Hmm. There has been so many. Um, but I probably am going to go with when I met Carrie Fisher. Ooh, that's awesome. Tell. Yeah. yeah. So um, she was at one of my local conventions and I got to go and I got to meet her. I was in line for two and a half hours to see this woman and get a photo op with her. And she was super cool. She was actually spending a little bit more time with people than what the they like. Um, so that's why it was kind of taking so long. Plus, she had Gary there with her, so she had to take Gary out every once in a while. Um, but I had a friend of mine. He was bringing me beers while I was waiting, so I was good and happy. And then right before, right before I got to see her, I think there was maybe four people in front of, in front of me, I had to go to the bathroom. She gets up to go to a smoke break. I thought for sure I was going to pee my pants. And I actually bent over and said that out loud of, oh, crap, I'm going to pee my pants. So everybody around me took 
you know, a good step, maybe two steps back. (laughs) (laughs) She ended up actually um, getting back a little quicker than I thought, but I had to make my time with her very short. It was one of those pet Gary, like, hey, you're so cute. I was like, I love you. You're awesome. Photo op. I'm like, peace out. And she's like, uh, okay. I'm like, I'm going to pee my pants. She's like, all right, see ya. So (laughs) (laughs) I kid you not, I almost did. You know, you made it by the nick of your knickers. That's perfect. I did. That's awesome. What was your most disappointing geek out moment? I'm going to say the Carrie Fisher moment because I had to pee. So I didn't get to actually (laughs) like spend like some good time with her. Oh, cool. Yeah. The best of times. It was the worst. It was. It was the best and the worst. (laughs) But your bladder thanked you after. So, hey. I I'm pretty sure my bladder would have been like, "Yeah, just go." She would have laughed. She thought it, she would have thought it was funny. I know she would have. But. And probably not the first time she's seen that happen. So, <laughs> yeah, probably isn't, not. Isn't it like, isn't it so cruel though? It's like you said that everybody around you like kind of backed up a bit. It's like no one, no one probably said, "You know what? It's okay. Go and then come right back. We'll we'll save your spot." No <laughs> one would offer that. No, nobody did. And isn't I awesome? almost, I almost grabbed my friend. To have him like hold my place and just like send people in front of him until I came back. But I was like, it's only four people. It's not going to be that bad. And then she had to do the smoke break thing. And then I'm like, I, I can't. Because I was already like behind the curtain for the photo op. And I was just like, this is horrible. Oh. Uh, in- uh. Yeah. <laughs> what keeps you out the most? Ooh. What geeks me out the most? Well, I've already said music and horror. Both of those are like big things for me. Um, if you go, if you're talking about like superheroes, I'm definitely a Marvel girl, Marvel girl over uh, DC. And then I actually love hockey, and I'm from Florida, so for a Floridian to like be obsessed and in love with hockey is a little weird, but I totally dig it. That's kind of interesting because you know most ice turns to water there so yeah so do you is your family from up north isn't that why you got into it or you just found something about it fascinating um it's just like a really awesome sport and everything else is boring in comparison so i kind of stuck with i kind of fell in love with it but i actually fell in love with it because i kind of like the whole camaraderie of going to watch a game with people and so when i had broken up with this ex who was like super into football I was like, I got to find my own sport. So I went searching, watched all these different types of sports and found that hockey was my jam. Oh, that's awesome. 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 Yeah. Love hockey. So that's perfect. Yeah. Go lightning. Woo. I won't go that far, but you know, we here, we here in Atlanta are still bitter because we lost our hockey team. So I'm sorry. Mm. But hey, the lightning are a great alternative. We lost it twice. Twice. (laughs) <laughs> we we have the wonders of minor league hockey here now it's pretty awesome hey, minor league is pretty cool oh i know i know i agree what turns your geek off i'm gonna say haters but like the haters that they can't just agree to disagree they're the people who are like no you're wrong and like they just like they're just mm, very close-minded those haters those are the ones i'm like all right dude like it's one thing to sit there and like jokingly tease about something that I love, but when you're like 
really bashing it, like, I, I'm good. Peace out. Oh, I totally understand that. Haters are just, we ignore them. They, we just like, oh, yeah, whatever. Find something better to do with your time. Yep. What fictional character would you like to meet the most? Ooh, I'm going to say Deadpool. Oh. And I mean, like, who wouldn't want to go to Sister Margaret's and have, like, weasel pour a few glasses of whiskey and you just sit there and, like, chit-chat and have a great time? I mean, I feel like that would be, like, that would be the, the end-all be-all. No, totally could see that. Totally could see time. that. Yeah. I think that's the first time anybody's ever mentioned uh, Deadpool in the Geek Seat period. No, it yeah. is. That's pretty yeah. awesome, actually. What fictional character would you like to meet the least, though? Um, I know that this is going to be, like, a total hot take, and, like, a lot of people probably not even going to want to listen to my podcast now because I say this, but I got to be true. I would totally be okay never meeting Batman. Really? Yeah. Well, usually if you meet Batman, it's on the side, you know, like of his fist or something like that, you know? Yeah, I just, I still, I'd be okay not ever meeting him. Okay, you're not actually the first person to say that, so. Yeah. Okay. I mean, come on. Marvel also did it better, Iron Man. Like I'm just saying. We might have to have a talk. Nope. (laughs) What is your favorite geek word, phrase, or quote? Ooh. I'm going to go with uh, some Doctor Who words. Oh. With fantastic or brilliant. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Hey, at least you didn't say Geronimo or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Wib- wibbly wobbly, timey wimey, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've totally used timey wimey in like a real sentence, but no, fantastic or brilliant. Because those were words that like almost every doctor says. And it's like that cool, like underlying, like catchphrases and stuff. But totally makes sense to me. Yep. Okay. What is your ideal geek occupation? Mm, I think it would be totally super cool to travel around and eat with people who played superheroes or people who wrote, directed, or like had some type of like workings in the whole uh, superhero or something along that kind of line. So kind of like, I don't know, there's like all those shows where like people go out and eat together and like they eat weird food and travel to all these weird countries, but they usually do it with not like super, super cool celebrities who play superheroes, but I would love to do that. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all, actually. Right? No, of course. What geek occupation would you not like to do, though? Um, anything with bodily fluids. I'm good. Been there, done that. I don't, I don't need to do it anymore. Understandable. Definitely understandable. (laughs) And that has so many different meanings 
<sighs> so, uh, so let's go on to the next question because we can get into a, a world of trouble in that one. <laughs> and then we'll just wait for Earth Station One after dark or something like that for that question. Uh, <laughs> all right, Shannon, are you ready for your final I question am. in the geek seat? Mm-hmm. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? This, ooh, that's a good one. Hmm. I know. I would love to end up getting married to a guy who is a perfect nope. mix between Deadpool Wade Wilson and Han Solo. Mike Drop. Wow. Can't beat that one. Nope. Nope. She said her piece. Wow. Done. Well, Shannon, I'm happy to announce you've made it through the Geek Seat. Congratulations. Mr. Mike Gordon, What? tell the young lady what she's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $36.04. Yay. When's the torture supposed to start? Oh, oh, oh. Oh, damn. Well, you know, you're going to be strapped in there for eternity, so uh, that uh, yeah. <laughs> has oh, only okay. begun. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. When we see her at Dragon Con, she'll still be strapped to the chair. It'll be perfect. Oh, okay. Yeah, it'll be cool. cool. Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, that person's been in the geek seat. That person's been in the geek seat. That person's been in the geek seat. That's a pretty darn awesome. Shannon, you want to promote your podcast again real quick? And how can people yes. find you? Yes. Come find me at Revolutionary Rebels Podcast. It's on all the things. Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Breaker, the whole nine. Plus, I'm going to have some really cool guests coming on. I love talking to people and making them feel amazing. So please come check me out. That is awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pure honor. It was great meeting you at Dragon Con and looking forward to meeting you again in person again. Yeah. I'll see you this year. You betcha. All right, folks, let's take a quick break. We're going to be back in a moment and we're talking all about good omens. Hey everybody, Michelle here with the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment. Who are we saying goodbye to this week? Today we bid adieu to one of the founding fathers of rock and roll, although you probably don't recognize his name. Dave Bartholomew has passed on at the age of 100 in New Orleans. He was one of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's two centenarians. He was also in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. He was a trumpeter, a songwriter, band leader, producer, and arranger. He was best known uh, for his work with Fats Domino from 1949 to 63. Um, his band was the in-house band at J&M Music Shop, which in itself is a place that's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, their band played on sessions by Lloyd Price, Little Richard, um, tons of other people who would go on to be rock and R&B legends. So he is considered one of the the founding fathers that laid down the sound of what would become rock and roll. He had hits of his own as well, uh, including the original version of a song he wrote called My Dingaling. 
In other news, Pink Floyd's David Gilmour recently auctioned his entire guitar collection at Christie's New York to benefit Client Earth, an environmental legal advocacy group uh, dedicated to a cause that uh, David Gilmour is very passionate about, fighting climate change. The auction included 125 guitars, 58 of them sold for 100000 or more. 20 of them are among the most expensive ever sold at auction. His famous Black Strat set the Guinness record as the most expensive guitar ever sold by any means, auction or private. It, it pulled in $3.975 million. This was his uh, his main uh, guitar for live performance and recording. It was on every Pink Floyd album from 1970 to 83 and all four of his solo albums. Also, the Martin D35 acoustic that you hear on Wish You Were Here. Close your eyes, you can hear it. Uh, Gilmore bought that one from a guy on the street back in 71. It was his go-to ever since then. It sold for $1.5 million. Um, about the whole thing, David Gilmore said, we need a civilized world that goes on for all our grandchildren and beyond in which these guitars can be played and songs can be sung. Uh, there's a virtual tour of the uh, auction still up at Christie's.com. I will put that up on the, on the blog um, and also a, a link to a news story where you could see closer up some of the guitars. Uh, the blog is iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com. And we will catch you next time. Everyone these days could use a little support. And your friends at the ESO Network are no different with the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. I am an angel. You are a demon. We're hereditary enemies. Get thee behind me, foul fiend. After you. Armageddon's days away, and we've lost the Antichrist. We have to work together. We have nothing whatsoever in common. I don't even like you. You do. If we don't find him, it'll be the war to end everything. Adam, where are we going? The end of the world. It's not far. The Earth isn't going to just end itself. The four horsemen of the apocalypse are being summoned. War. Pollution. Famine. Death. Who exactly summons them? Not my department. The end of the world starts here. We don't get tornadoes in England. We do today. The boy, he's coming into his power. You sure? Would I lie to you? You're a demon. That's what you do. We're doomed. Welcome to the end times. It's nice and angry. We can't give up now. Self-esteem.
Welcome back to Earth Station One. Now we are here for the main topic, and we are talking all about good omens. Yes, the end is nigh, and uh, we're here to talk all about it. Um, we've got with us uh, two great guests, starting with uh, Rebecca Perry. It's been a while. It has been a while. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. You know you're always welcome here. Aww. And uh, unlike uh, unlike our next guest, who's only welcome every once in a while, because we can only have him on like maybe once a year. We and have that, a restraining order, you know that. <laughs> exactly. And that is artist Alan O.W. Barnes. Actually, I should say artist and writer now. And writer now. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And of course, musician and just man of all trades. Well, as, as long as they don't require science or, <laughs> or hard thinking, right? How you been? How's the other things? I saw you at Heroes, and uh, you said that that convention went very well for you, and I'm very happy for you. It did. It did. Uh, things have been going really well. Uh, you know, as you just mentioned, I got the new book out, and it uh, seems like uh, seems like uh, the response to it is going well. Absolutely, absolutely. I um, uh, it is definitely on my on my to read list, and uh, we'll talk all about that when we do our shout outs. But right now. We're going to talk about another uh, book to Amazon series, and that is Good Omens. Uh, this is a uh, series that uh, uh, once the book was, I think, published in 1990, I think. That's correct. Uh, that, uh, that was talked about many, many, many times of coming to the screen, big screen and small screen. And uh, Amazon finally got it done. Um, let's start with where we like sort of started with Good Omens, what our um, maybe perceptions were going into the series. Uh, Rebecca, what's your history with uh, this property? Uh, well, I read the book not long after it came out because I was already a huge Neil Gaiman fan. Um, wasn't that as familiar with Terry Pratchett, but um, I mean, I read it in, I think, a day and just fell in love with it. And I've read it probably a dozen times in the past <laughs> I'd say not, but it's almost been 30 years. Uh, wow. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. And yeah. so again, you know, I, I've heard, you know, like you said, throughout the years, they've talked about doing a movie or a TV show. And I thought, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see whenever that happens. Um, and then when they finally announced it was happening and they started announcing um, casting and uh, I thought, yeah, this, this actually could be good. And then I saw it and I was Yep, it was. I have absolutely no complaints about it at all. Excellent! Wow. All right, so we'll get into more of that. Alan, what about you? Where Where do you stand? What's your history with this? You know, um, I uh, I came to Neil Gaiman fandom late. Uh, I uh, I learned of his amazing work in around two thousand two, and. Um, pretty much devoured everything uh, he, he had done comics wise over, over a couple of years. So 2004 is when I read Good Omens the first time. And uh, I've read it about three times since I feel 
under red now compared to to Rebecca, but but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's 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 definitely on one of my uh, my top properties from uh, from Mr. Gaiman. Um, I felt I thought when I read it that I was shocked that uh, I hadn't heard of it earlier, um, probably because of whatever whatever was going on in, in my life at the time. But uh, but I'm a huge uh, Douglas Adams fan as well, and have been a Douglas Adams fan since I was really little. Uh, so, uh, it definitely had that kind of flavor to it. And, uh, I was, I was, I was really interested that, uh, the guy who wrote Sandman would also have had a hand in that. Yeah. And so, uh, what do you have expectations obviously going into this? Yeah. Well, I mean, um, let's see, uh, to be honest with you, my expectations weren't very high because my, uh, my, um, experience with, uh, Gaiman, being translated to film so far have not been stellar. You know, I think there have been a few things that have, that have, that have been good, but nothing great. But I think that this was absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 I definitely agree with that. Mike, what about you? Well, I was with Rebecca actually, and really? read the book. Well, yeah, of course. Well, we don't need to... over her shoulder. Is of that course, what... we. You have to remember, we we went to different high schools together. It was perfect. <laughs> but yeah, it was like around the same time, around ninety ninety one. I read Good Omens, and because that was about the time I had my comic shop, and we, you know, we knew Neil Gaiman from Sandman, and it was you know pretty much you know what he's coming out with a novel this is awesome you know terry pratchett this is awesome and so it was just awesome to pick up the book and it read so easy like rebecca i've probably finished it in two or three days and you know basically was just amazed by the characters the story and just how well it flowed and it felt very douglas adams like alan said and it was just a lot of fun. And when they announced that they were going to be making it into a miniseries, I was very skeptical because they haven't done a great job about doing Neil Gaiman work on TV or in movies. And, you know, Neverwhere was okay, the BBC version, but it wasn't great. And, you know, I don't even want to talk about American Gods, what it became. <laughs> you know, because I loved the first season, but the second season just, I think they'd lost their way. And I was then very jaded when they announced Good Omens. And it was just like, we will see what happens. But then when they started announcing the cast, I started getting more and more excited. So it was cool. I, uh, I was recommended uh, Good Omens uh, by actually Michelle. When we, uh, I think it was during our early courtship, uh, if you will. Um, so back in the, eh, around 94 or so, 90 around then. So it had been out for a few years, but she had the hardcover and, uh, she had read it and she enjoyed it. And she knew that since I like things like, um, Douglas Adams, uh, that, uh, and Neil Gaiman that I, I would like that. And then I hadn't, I had read Sandman and a couple of his, uh, comic work, but I hadn't, uh, invested in anything else by him. So, um, so yeah, I, I gave it a, a read and I enjoyed it tremendously. Um, but I kind of just set it aside after that and didn't, um, and it was, it's been on Michelle's shelf on her bookshelf for all this time since then. 
uh, didn't really give it too much thought, except every once in a while you'd see a report that, yes, they're going to make it into a movie uh, directed by Terry Gilliam. And I'm like, well, I'll watch anything he's doing. That seems like a good mix to me, a good match to me. Um, but that, of course, didn't happen, and other things fell through. And 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 when Amazon announced that they were making it in a series, um, I was excited when they announced, uh, of course, that it was going to be David and Michael as the as the two uh, you know main leads in it. I was very excited about that possibility, even before I knew which ones they were playing. Because to be honest, they're both capable, equally capable of playing the other. You know, in fact, I would love to see an alternate series of this where they, the, each of them, they switch roles. Well, don't yeah. they kind of do that anyway? No. Uh, well, yes, uh, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we announced the spoiler at the beginning of the show. Don't worry. Exactly. So, I read an interview that said that uh, there's been loose talk about a stage play version where the two of them would play their role, reprise their roles but switch their roles every night. Yeah, that would be much like the Frankenstein production that they did with, Mm. um, uh, uh, with, uh, was it Benedict Cumberbatch and, um, Johnny Lee Miller, right? Yes. Yeah. Which I still haven't seen, but I, I, I just love the idea of that. Um, but what really made me more excited than the casting was a quote from Neil himself when they were talking about, you know, good omens. And that he said with this time, you know, he was kind of like most people who are fans of his work, uh, kind of frustrated with the fact that a lot of his uh, stuff has a lot of his properties that have been adapted. Uh, even the episodes of Dr. Who didn't really come out the way he wanted them to. Uh, so he was determined this time that if this, and, and not just for him, but also to honor Terry Pratchett as well, that he was going to take an active role in this more so than he had in any other production that he had, that had been made of his stuff. So I was like, well, then this, this sounds like a a great, a great deal. And boy, like, I don't know if you could have done, I can't even imagine a, something that was done uh, a, a project or a movie version of this or whatever that was, that would have been closer to the book than this. I mean, this is like, I just reread the book over the weekend and uh, it, it's, it's amazing how close, I mean, there's changes. Sure. Um, and in some ways, and we'll talk about it, but I, some ways I think the miniseries improves some of the things in the book. I agree. Um, but uh, I, I really, really was impressed. Really was impressed. Um. So, uh, yeah, so let's get into it as far as things that we really, really enjoyed about uh, the miniseries. Uh, Rebecca, we'll start with you. What's something that really stands out for you as being uh, um, something that was really positive about it? Uh, Well, the cast, I mean, like you said, uh, I I can't think of a more perfect cast. I mean, I don't think there was a bad actor in this entire series. Um, I mean, we'll start, you know, David Tennant, of course, and Michael Sheen were just absolutely brilliant together. Um, I'll watch anything that either one of them does. Um, let me let me pause you right there for a second, because I found it interesting. Now, I hadn't reread the book since like 94 or 95 or whatever. And uh, after I saw I was thinking about doing so before the mini before I watched the miniseries. And I'm like, no, no, I'll watch the miniseries. Then I'll reread the book. And that's the order that I went in. And I found that when I reread the book, I instantly put David Tennant 
and Michael Sheen into those characters and I could hear them. And I often, and I thought to myself, wow, um, they're so perfect in this. I can't even imagine who or what those characters were like prior to the, my, my knowing of or seeing the cast. Right. Now you've had more experience reading it. Was there any sort of like leeway there or are they just a perfect fit? Well, I mean, I think anybody, when you read a book, you know, everyone kind of gets in their head what the characters look like. I mean, it was like me, you know, when I had read Lord of the Rings, I mean, now after seeing the movies, I can't reread that and not see those actors in those roles. And it's no longer the people that I had in my head. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit like that with good omens. Um, And, you know, if, you know, I initially, I didn't know who, Obviously, I didn't know who David Tennant and Michael Sheen were 30 years ago. Um, And, and, you know, if you if you read, uh, you know, initially, I still sort of have that, you know, in my head of what I think they look like. But again, you know, they were I think they were they were perfect. I mean, they they captured the spirit um, of those characters really, really well. Um, and when I say, you know, people that know me know that I am a massive Lord of the Rings fan <laughs> and I love the books and love the What? You are? I know. It's what? Shock. Huh? I'm so, shocked. So when I say that I think Good Omens is probably the best adaptation of a book that I have ever seen, you know, that's, you know, that's no little thing that I'm saying. <laughs> and I yeah, won't even include Lord of the Rings in that. So <laughs> that is that is high praise. Yes, I would say the um, and, cast. But sorry, I was just going to say, yeah, I think the cast. Um, oh, and Francis McDormand as the voice of God, I thought was just absolutely perfect. Excellent, excellent. Well, kind uh, of the, fit, you know. Exactly. The uh, the casting of this caused some uh, obviously some controversy, but to me, that even makes it better. I agree. Um, so, Alan, what about you? What's something that uh, you took away from this that uh, was really positive? Oh man, um, I'm gonna try to boil it down to one thing. Um, probably the opening of uh, episode three. Um, we uh, we had all kinds of teasers for um, uh, the angel and demons' uh, life together in the book, but um, but to see it dramatized and expanded in that way. Uh, for for uh, as David Tennant says, the longest cold open in the history of television. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I thought I thought that that was absolutely brilliant and uh, and so good in so many ways. Um, I was uh, uh, it made the uh, the bit about him uh, giving away his flaming sword. Uh, I mean, I, I I'm still laughing about that. Yeah, I think. Um... I think one of the things that uh, I'll say it, one of the improvements I think of the series over the book, since I just reread it was that uh, there's a big chunk of the book where uh, the, um, uh, let's see, I'm blanking where Crawley and uh, come on, help me out. And uh, is it as, how do you pronounce that? As Raphael. I'm going to, Azrafel. Okay. Thank you. Where they're missing. They're just gone. They're not, they're not there for a while. Right. Um, and there's like, it feels like a long time in the book where they're gone. Um, because, um, because new characters come in, we have to spend time with them. We have to spend time with the witch finders and, and of course uh, the, the, you know, all that. 
um, and Adam and everything like that. So uh, the, you know, angel and demon get put off to the shelf for a little bit and then they come in sort of for the last act. Um, I like the fact that the characters are, are much more, um, uh, their, their, their coordination of all the scenes with them and the development of all the characters is much more spread out throughout this. Even, I think. So you don't feel that like loss for a while. No, it flowed very well in this TV series. And, you know, it didn't feel like, oh, wait, they haven't been on screen for quite some time. It did, never felt like that. Right, right. Which, you know, is a danger because they're so good. You could watch them like you don't need anything else. <laughs> That's the danger, right? When you put, as, as Rebecca said, when you put David and Michael together, they could just be reading the phone book and that would be captivating six hours, right? No, totally understand that. And that's part of the cool thing about this. It introduced all the characters that were needed, but it didn't feel like they took up too much screen time or they just spent too much story focusing on them. It was all spaced out really evenly. And it just, it was awesome. Uh, speaking of which, Mike, what would, what's uh, your pick for something else that was awesome in the, in this? Well, I loved the humor in it. I loved, you know, I mentioned Douglas Adams earlier, but I felt a lot like this had the hitchhikers kind of feel even the animations they put into this and the narration. And it was, it was just awesome. And the story just flew by. I think we went through the whole mini series in one sitting. It was, it was just awesome. My God, if we could ever get a, version or an adaptation of hitchhikers that would be even half as good as this adaptation i would be happy mm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> i like mean part of the story. noble attempts but oof, this you know uh amazon if you could just point your you know uh money towards that <laughs> and making that happen i think i would be very happy um but uh oof, that's good um yeah, I mean, much the same way uh, all of you guys have said, the cast, uh, I like, like, I, I think I've already kind of said it, but I just felt that this flowed so well. Um, it feels like, it feels like a six hour movie right. rather than a, a series um, because it's all directed by the same guy. It's all written, like, it's, it's really just, you're just watching, you know, you know parts. It's interesting that, you know, with, uh, for us here in the States or for those people who have Amazon, you know, we were able to just watch it all at once and binge it. Whereas I think, you know, it's a, it's a co-production of the BBC. BBC two was showing it weekly, like after it had been released in Amazon on Amazon. So, so, you know, people in Britain had to wait. Uh, well, to they, they were due after, you know, they got to see Sherlock before. We... <laughs> Serves them right. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. Serves them right. <laughs> Darn bastards. <laughs> <laughs> But that was what was great about the series. It moved, it flowed, and I loved seeing them throughout the different eras. And, you know, the flashbacks didn't take away from the modern story. It actually explained a lot of things, and that was a lot of fun of it. Yeah, actually, actually, uh, uh, along those lines, one of the one of the just tiny moments that I think sort of exemplifies that was uh, the business where... Um, Help me pronounce the angel's name again there, Rebecca. Um, I think I might have actually said it wrong initially. I think it's Aziraphale. Aziraphale. Okay. So uh, Aziraphale is uh, pouring over the prophecies 
and uh, one of the prophecies tells him that his uh, cocoa has gotten cold, right? Uh, the book, um, uh, it, it, that, that part isn't in the prophecy. It's just, uh, it's, it's like a throwaway line. Like uh, he, w- he was reading this uh, uh, and his, uh, he, he didn't disturb his, I don't remember exactly how it's phrased, but uh, they actually had this great um, visual beat and, and, and let Michael Sheen act it in a way to where you like felt the moment instead of it just sort of being a throwaway line. And it felt like there were tons of moments like that throughout the piece. Yeah. Uh, and, and since I just read it, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that too. Um, whereas the, um, uh, it's, it's not, it actually, it isn't just a throwaway because he actually, uh, the authors, I'll say plural, the authors mark the passage of time with how long he's been reading that and how long he's been captivated by it, not moving by what's happened to the cocoa. I see. I see. So, like it starts off warm and then like, like later on, like a few pages later, whatever, when they go back to him, it's gotten cold, you know, and then later it's gotten dusty, you know, it's, it's just, it marks the passage of time where, which, which would be difficult. I mean, you certainly you could do that visually, but again, I think it was a change that was made uh, quite, uh, quite successfully on this. End. As far as, cause we've mentioned the first two, but I want to kind of dive into a little bit more of the characters. Uh, Rebecca, what's a character, another character that you feel like it was just amazingly cast in this? And there are some characters that are in this that are not in the book. Uh, that's like I don't think like I don't think Gabriel is in the book, right? I he is actually. Does he show? He shows up. You're right. He does show up like in a little scene. Right? Yeah, I mean, he's not. I don't think he's as prominent as he is on the show. Um, but it would have been awful to not have, you know, to have wasted John Hamm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I really, really liked um, Michael McKeon as Shadwell. I thought he, I mean, I like him. And again, he's one of those actors that I like him in pretty much anything. Um, but the fact that I was like, he did, you know, he did such a funny, good Scottish accent as well. <laughs> and as the witch finder, he was just, I thought he was very funny. I I used to really not like Michael McKeon and stuff, and what? he was like there. There came a point where it seemed like he was in everything, and I thought he was. I was just like a Michael McKeon overkill. Oh, uh, just because he didn't like Lenny and Squiggy. Come on. No, no, I love Lenny and Squiggy, but maybe <laughs> I just felt so bad for the actor who played Squiggy that he wasn't getting. <laughs> um, I don't it's know. But in any in, case, Squiggy wasn't in Spinal Tap, so. It, it took me a long time to to like kind of resolve my issues with Michael Keaton. As a matter of fact, uh, Better Call Saul did a lot. Like all of a sudden, I saw Michael McKean in a different light. Oh, so now great. when I see him, uh, I'm just amazed by him. And I did think he was like in a very interesting cast because yes, he's not Scottish. He's not even British. I mean, he's not like. And I'm like, wow, that seems like for a British production or a co-British production, you would think that that you know that you know, that they could, <laughs> there's plenty of Scottish actors available, I'm sure. Um, but I also, and I, and I thought, well, there's going to be some people who are going to be like, you know, complaining that the accent is wrong or something like that. But again, if you go to the original book, which I just read, when they describe him, they describe his accent as being like all over the place. They describe That's him true. as being like a, more of a caricature than an actual, like his voice was like a, actually more of a, like a cartoon version of a Scott, what a Scott should like sound ground, like. Like groundskeeper Willie. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so I thought, well, then he's perfect. Then yeah. No, he he was. Yeah. Um, I will also add, and it's not, it's sort of a character, but not really, but I thought the use of the, the Queen songs were great in the show. I think they kind of, and, and they, the authors do actually say, it's something to the fact that in the book, something like, you know, all tapes left in a car for more than a certain period of time will wind up turning into Queen albums, which I thought, and I thought that was a very nice touch that they added. And it almost, to me, the, the soundtrack almost became like a character on the show for me. Yeah. And the timing couldn't be better with Queen being sort of having a little renaissance now uh, with Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes. So, uh, so yeah, it just worked out that it's like, Oh yeah, they're on the, but the choice of the choice of what Queen song to pick and what scene was just fantastic. (laughs) I agree. Um, Alan, what about you? Another character that uh, you uh, thought was uh, really worked really well. Well, I mean, um, uh, you know, she stole the best one right there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, uh, no, um, the, uh, the gentleman who played uh, Michael, um, I'm sorry, I'm saying that wrong. Gabriel uh, just, you know. Oh, John Hamm. Yes. Thank you. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, that that I thought was just outstanding, and he had so many like great moments. The, my favorite moment of his is actually at the end, which uh, Mike alluded to just a second ago, is uh, when uh, he's trying to kill uh, Aziraphale with the uh, with the fire. You know, just <laughs> right before that, I don't even remember what he says, but it's just there's it's just this expression on his face, and uh, uh, knocked me out. I, I just thought, uh, uh, and I thought the idea of expanding his role to where he's like. Um, helping us understand why Aziraphale might prefer heaven, pardon me, earth over heaven was, uh, was just brilliant. Uh, not only from a, from a character perspective, but just from a, from a writing perspective. I just love the scene when they were in the bookstore. We're just here to look at some pornography. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was awesome. John Hamm is so good at whatever he does anyway. Yes. Yes. There was a there there was a rumor recently that he was going to be Batman, but uh, we saw how that turned out. I think he would have been a little too old to be Batman, but I thought he would have been great. Unless they unless they decided they were going to do a Dark Knight kind of thing, I don't know. True, not yet. Nah, he can still do that. Like he's still got like twenty, thirty years. He could you know to play that. So, um, so Mike, what about you? Any any other characters that we missed? Any actors that we missed? Any performances? Well, I love the kid who was Adam. I thought he was awesome. Yes. Yeah. I know I've said it before. Uh, I, th- I can't remember what we were talking about, but I was like, when did child actors become so darn good? Cause they used mm-hmm. the bane of anything you would watch. Oh, and, I know um, you used to like roll your eyes, but yeah, this kid was awesome when he had his friends, when he first was discovering his powers and I loved just how he was, he was just, he was, he was discovering what he was, but he didn't really think of himself as bad. And he never in this movie ever thought he was evil. You know, he never thought he didn't want, you know, to control the world or anything. He just wanted to be with his friends and he wanted, you know, even when he was starting to have his powers in the woods and everything, he wanted his friends around him and he kept them there when he like sealed their mouths off. And, you know, it was just, it was just like, wow, this kid is great. 
Yeah, he goes he goes a little bit more like Damien Omen uh, in in this adaptation than he does in the original book. Yes, very much so. But I thought it was really awesome. And, you know, I would have been much more happier with this if I had never seen Stranger Things because the whole thing with them riding their bikes to the <laughs> basin or anything, I was like, oh, Stranger Things right there. Right. That was my, actually, that was my only weak point for the whole series. Well, but E.T. did it first, though. That's very true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a reference of that in the book, too. Um, I keep mentioning books, sorry. Anyway, um, it's hard not to do. No, you, you need to in this context. That's what we were I think so. Um, and I definitely encourage people to read the book. If, they, if people are listening to this and they uh, have uh, watched the miniseries, but they haven't read the book, I definitely re- recommend that they do so. There are some slight differences, um, and uh, it still it still holds up. And it's an e- it's not a hard read. But I also say that I love the fact that there's just like it seems like you know everybody who is anybody in sort of uh, sort of the British circle that we love and geek them or whatever was part of this you know like david morrissey has a, a brief appearance Derek jacoby uh um even benedict cumberbatch uh does a voice um, uh, brian cox was brian, yes brian cox exactly um you know you're just watching it and all of a sudden it's like oh i know that guy or you know or that actress it's just a like they just throw them in uh which is awesome um Daniel Mays, I always uh, appreciate his work as well. He's the he played the father of Adam. Oh yes, he was great. Um, he was great in uh, what do I think of him? Oh, um, Ashes to Ashes is what I usually I think that's what I first saw. But he's been in a bunch of stuff. Doctor Who. They've all been in Doctor. Everybody who's been in this has been. If you're a British actor, I think at some point you've been in. (laughs) Exactly. But uh, oh, I didn't even mention that. Speaking of which, Mark Gatiss is in this as well. Mm Hmm. He has an appearance. Um, so, yeah, I just love the fact that it seemed like the, like, you, you know, you've got a pretty cool property when it seems like actors are just kind of banging on your door going, please, just, I'll take a little part. Just, I want to be part of this. And uh, I thought that was, uh, that was, that was cool kind of watching this and every once in a while you'd be like, oh, that's cool. Um, so, uh, but yes, I thought there wasn't, I didn't think there was anybody who didn't hit the mark on this. Um, Although, you know, it's funny that we haven't mentioned uh, Jack Whitehall as uh, Pulsifer or uh, Adriana, is it Arjanya? Arjanya, yeah. Right. Athenia? Yeah, a device, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, they have significant roles in this, but yet I, I think they, they're solid. They're, they're good. They're not, I, I don't, yeah, they don't steal the show. Yeah, they, I, I agree. They were very solid actors, and they did really well in those roles. But to me, they didn't sort of stand out to, as much as some of the other actors did. Right. And well, maybe considering- it could be maybe they're not as well-known, especially in America. So it's not like somebody where you see, like, oh, there's Nick Offerman. Oh, there's John Hamm. You know, it's... <laughs> right. Uh maybe it was that or it was just there the the characters were not quite as flamboyant. That makes sense. 
Um, is there anything that you can think of that is a criticism or something that you wish they had done or didn't do? Rebecca? You know, <laughs> honestly, not really. Um, I do remember in the book, and it has actually been a little while since I've read it, but with the, uh, the four horsemen on the bikes, weren't there also four Hells Angels? That were riding with them yes. and they were yes. like trying to come up with like you know really cool names or <laughs> right. something and they they couldn't really uh, the names they kept coming up were really lame like um yeah, like, like we're, the, we're, the, we're the really cool people or something like you know yes that was exactly one of them and, really you cool know people. uh and so i mean i don't know that that how much that would have added to the show but i i just thought it was kind of funny in the book i I don't know how well that would have translated but i think you know the four horsemen on the bikes i thought were it was a very cool visual and it was really well done the way they did it especially showing you know the way they showed uh pollution where you know every time she walked there would be pollution kind of following her and trash and stuff and and how death's bike was like a skeleton and just that was very cool (laughs) Oh, death was awesome. Death was really well done on this. So the only, like, this isn't even criticism because I'm actually going to undo it as soon as I say it. Uh, The only thing that I would say that I did kind of expect that I didn't get is um, Gaiman is really known for uh, these super high profile uh, illustrator collaborators like uh, Dave McKean or Chris Rydell or any of those kind of people. And with the exception of like the opening sequence, I didn't really feel like any of the, uh, the visual stuff was uh, over the top mesmerizing the way that say mirror mask was. Uh, although, you know, mirror mask, I think is a good example of, uh, of, of something that Gaiman wrote that didn't quite live up to expectations story-wise, but was just visually stunning for, uh, for, for the budget they had available. Um, so I think I was expecting uh, something, uh, something Dave McKean esque to appear eventually, and that never really happened. I, you know, what I think that's fair. Um, you know, certainly when a project like Good Omens at some point is is mentioned that Terry Gilliam might might be directing it, and then you know that fails through, you're kind of like watching this. I, you know, there is a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that is serviceable, but certainly if Terry had done it, it would have been very much more uh, more stylized, for better or worse. But it would have been more stylized. But I also think, you know, to undo what I just said, maybe the reason that it played so well is because it didn't have the stylization. I'm uncertain, and that's fair too. You know. Yeah, I certainly was. I I certainly didn't get the feeling that it was poorly directed. No, no, not at all. So, uh, yeah, Douglas McKinnon uh, was the one who directed this, and uh, um, with Gaiman as the showrunner. So, uh, I think it, it was. Yeah, it was solid. Where there wasn't, you're you're right. There wasn't a ton of shots that I would look at and be like, "Oh, I want to," you know, put a frame of that on my wall. Um, right. But yet, everything I think. I think what happened was that this was directed by what they call an actor's director, someone who cares more about characters. So you focused on the characters, you focus on the performances and let them tell the story as opposed to being, you know, directed a certain way. Certainly. Certainly. 
No, totally understand that. And the production values on this was wonderful. Oh yeah, yeah. they it's stellar. They did so, not pull any punches on it, and I thought you know it was very well directed. It moved. The music was amazing in this. Not just the Queen music, which was awesome, but it's always awesome. Yeah, but yeah, of course. But the but just the background music, the instrumentals, and everything. It was just it was really really well done. Yes, and that was one of the cool things about this is it it didn't rely on you know that you know it had you know the narration it had the the chemistry between the acting and the actors was just spectacular in every scene. And there didn't really seem like there was one actor in this that felt like they were out of place. There were some that were lesser and stuff, but everything just moved perfectly. And just having everybody like Michael and David, you know, interacting with themselves, with each other throughout the ages and loved how, you know, David never ate in this at all. He drank, but he never ate. It was always Michael who was eating at the at the restaurants and everything. It was just always fun. David is amazing. Um, he continues to impress me. Um, not every time out because uh, Lord help him. Some of the projects that he picks, I just can't understand. But um, <laughs> but um, you know when he really gets his uh, teeth into a character. Um, and we've seen him play. I mean, he's so good at playing bad guys. Uh, and even his ten, his tenure as the doctor, what, there was a darker side to that doctor that he was able to, to instill, uh, I think. Um, but uh, whether it's uh, uh, Kilgrave and Jessica Jones, or I think, you know, I put this performance right there. The, it, it's never, I don't think it's ever mentioned in the book, but the swagger that tenant gives Crawley right from the beginning, right from when he first gets out of the Bentley. It's just perfect. It's just like it, that's the character. Like he just nails it in, in one motion uh, rather. He doesn't even have to say anything. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, did anybody else get kind of a Bill Nye vibe from David Tennant in this? Or was that just me? <laughs> I didn't think of it, but once you say it, yes, that's, that's, that's as soon me. as I saw him, I was like, Oh, he kind of reminds me of Bill Nye. <laughs> Maybe it was the hair too, but it was that swagger. And I think the way he talked and I don't know if that was intentional or if, like I said, I'm just reading into it, but yeah, he was, his, he was, he was, he was total rock star on that show. Okay. So even though we don't have a, a huge amount of time, I do want to uh, mention or talk about one thing uh, before we get out of here, because I think it really has to be, I would like to address it anyway. And, and Alan, I want to start with you on this because, um, well, because I, I think out of the, probably the four of us, you probably have more of a, um, a definite, like a, like definite spiritual connection. I'm kind of wondering like where this story like lies for you as far as, as far as, as far as that goes. Ah, uh, so uh, the reason he's suggesting this, if uh, for anybody who doesn't know, is uh, that uh, one of my many day jobs is that I'm the uh, <laughs> I'm the uh, music director at a uh, 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 United Church of Christ. So, um, so the um, 
What I find to be really interesting about properties like Good Omens and even the television adaptation of Lucifer uh, that's been going on right now, again, adapted from a, a game and idea, um, is that uh, they all seem to be uh, pointing at this idea of uh, uh, redemption. And they seem to keep pulling that out of uh, Gaiman's work uh, whenever they're dealing with his um, more spiritual um, associated properties. And um, reading Gaiman directly, I'm not sure I got that out of what he wrote, but I find it interesting that people keep pulling that out whenever they adapt it for television. And um, um, I found this idea that uh, uh, not only Crowley seemed to be good for all of the reasons that, uh, that he needed to be, but that Aziraphale was also bad for all of the right reasons, you know? Um, and I think that, uh, I think that there's, I think that there's something there. I'm not sure what it is precisely, but, um, but, but I think that it's, uh, I think that it's, I think that says something about the times we're living in. Um, but beyond that, uh, uh, and, and trying to make it a little lighter for just a moment, um, I, I was, uh, cracked up by the, uh, the reports of the, um, the petition uh, signed by so many um, uh, conservative Christians to try to get it removed from quote unquote Netflix. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so, so I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, to quote a very wise man, um, I think in the war between ideas and guns, ideas will eventually win. Well said. Um, I, I think, and, and thank you for that too. Um, and, and certainly I want to hear the rest of you guys uh, thoughts on it too. Um, I, I, I've always felt, and especially with this reading the book, whether it's the book or, or the way the miniseries plays out, even though that obviously the, the writers and the, 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 the producers and everything like that are kind of having some fun with the material. I never felt like it's an attack or it's, it's a, a condemnation of of belief in God or whatever sort of um, religious beliefs that you have, I think they're all sort of open to discussion, right? But I I just don't feel like I mean certainly I mean I could see where some obviously anybody who's really like thin skin could be feel like it's going to be attacked by anything, right? Well, I, th- I think that they uh, I, I think that a lot of people who are thin skinned that you're referencing just uh, uh, think, th- think that anything that isn't 100%, uh, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for here? Anything that isn't, uh, cut and dry exactly as they think it's supposed to be is going to be an attack, whether <laughs> it is or not. I thought, I thought for a second there, I thought you could say it isn't 100% Caucasian. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the interesting thing about it is I loved how they made Adam and Eve not Caucasian. And the same thing with Jesus. Right. And, and God is voiced by a woman. Exactly. And there was such an uproar because of those things. And it was just like, oh, please, people, think about what part of the world this was taking place in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but sorry if I offended anyone. Yeah, but that doesn't, that, if it doesn't conform to your beliefs as you've read them, you're probably going to get really upset. <laughs> 
And I think that's, and I'm, and I think also, I think most of the people that were so upset about this show probably never saw it and never read the book, but they just, <laughs> what they heard about it, they just they thought it was on Netflix, knew it was they never saw it. horrible. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously the fact that they didn't even know a channel it, it came on uh, would tell you. That well, they and hadn't seen look, it. I've, I've seen this, you know, I mean, obviously uh, I've seen it happen so many times where, you know, it's basically uh, the people in power that are basically either threatened or using it for whatever purpose that they need to use it for. And they're just, you know, deciding, making these decisions for their flock or whatever. And the flock is just is just like sheep, you know, going after that thing without even without even questioning it. Have any of you seen The Gospel of Us, which is another uh, production that Michael Sheen oh, wow. uh, no, did I with Dave McKean, actually? Um, so it is a, uh, secular passion play that Michael Sheen performed live, uh, in, uh, in some small town in England over a three day period. Um, and, uh, he basically plays like a secularized version of Jesus in it known as the teacher in the film. And, uh, Dave McKean got a, f- a film crew that basically followed him around and shot it live and then basically edited it down into a, uh, into a movie after the fact. And um, uh, the reason that I bring it up is because um, uh, it, uh, based on some of the things you're saying, um, I thought that it was a, a, a brilliant example of uh, so, someone taking the themes from the Bible, putting them in a secular context and sort of showing us who the real enemies are. And I won't say more than that because we're not doing spoilers for the gospel of us, but um but uh, but related to that, I had it in the back of my mind when I heard about Good Omens that maybe that was the film that they were referencing when they decided hmm. to give Michael Sheen this role. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I, yeah, I, I must admit, I, I, I've seen a lot of things with Michael Sheen in it, but I haven't followed his career as closely as, as that. So. Well, I mean, I, I, I follow <laughs> Dave McKean, which is why I saw this. I was when I... <laughs> <laughs> when I got that movie. Awesome. Yeah, they, um, wow. From in there, I, I got confused and I was like, Michael McKean, Dave McKean, which one McKean are we talking about? Oh, come on. You know, the McKean brothers, everybody. <laughs> exactly. does. Yeah. They're very different. Very different. Uh, but uh, that's cool. I have to add that to my queue. Um, so, okay. So uh, last uh, sort of thoughts uh, as we go ahead and uh, rate this. Uh, we'll start with you, Rebecca. That's a rating of one through five. Uh, you can give it one through five uh, I don't know, uh, queen tapes, um, if you like. And uh, any last thoughts on it? On a scale of uh, uh, I want to ride my bicycle to Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, <laughs> I would give it a Bohemian Rhapsody. Like I said, I mean, I think it's, it is one of the best if not the best adaptation that I've seen so far. I mean, especially, it's certainly the best adaptation of a Neil Gaiman story uh, so far. Uh, and uh, it's, I think it's one of the best book adaptations. Um, I mean, it, it helped that Neil Gaiman helped put it together and he was there and it helped that they had such a great cast. Um, I certainly hope uh, that uh, if there are any future Neil Gaiman projects, that come to pass if they're even half as good as this one is uh i will have faith absolutely alan what about you 
Mm, I'll, I'll give it a five out of five, whatever you want to tag that into. And um, the only, the only parting thought that I have for it really is, uh, you know, I think that it's the best thing I've seen on TV in, in, in years, you know, people just need to see it if they haven't yet. Mike. Um, five flaming swords all the way uh, for rating. If you have seen this folks, it's the best thing on Netflix right now. I trust you on that. At least until Thursday. It is exactly that's true. And then you know, Amazon Prime gets uh, needless things. No, just kidding. <laughs> things. Uh, I know Stranger Things is coming out. I know, I know, I know. But it is truthfully, if you have Amazon Prime, get it. If you don't have Amazon Prime, get it. You know what we could say, say this and speak till we're blue in the face. This is just amazing. It is the eminent Neil Gaiman work. And I am so looking forward to watching it again and again and again. I, I agree. Um, and amazingly enough, I'm not the only one because it, as, as it turns out, Agnes Nutter actually predicted <laughs> that I was going to, I was going to give this a five-star rating. Um, so uh, she was right on it. She's still on it. Like uh, as, far as predictions, Impressive. but uh I, I, yeah, in, in some cases, like I said, this enhances the book and actually, like I said, it actually, the, it flows a little bit better. I think, I think, I think Neil's had like a lot of time to go, Oh, maybe we should fix this or maybe this works a little bit better or maybe that wasn't exactly clear. So I think he was able to sort of do a, um, a, a rewrite, if you will, of good omens in a way uh, with this. And uh, the fact that uh, he was a showrunner, I think is, is, you know, speaks volumes and, and look, we've all seen instances where the uh, writers, uh, good, really, really, really good writers are not really great showrunners. Uh, so it's, 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 it's a, it's pretty apparent. I think through this, that Neil is at least for this goes. So I'm, I hope that like Rebecca, I hope if anything else comes out with his, with his work, like the upcoming, uh, you know, mentioned Sandman, I hope that he's definitely involved on a on a huge level, like a, a, on a showrunner level, if not if not at least uh, consultant. So, well, very cool. Well, thank you all. Uh, we appreciate your thoughts on Good Omens, and we want to hear from you all out there and what you thought of Good Omens as well, if you've seen it. So please reach out to us. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to take a break with the ESO Network. Con. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela. And this week, this geek girl is talking about Swamp Thing Episode 2. So, in Swamp Thing Episode 2, we get more of the story that happened from Episode 1. So, Sheriff Lucilia Cable is looking for Alec, who has disappeared from Episode 1. And Abby starts to theorize that maybe the accident and the boat in the swamp with Alec is actually more than just an accident. So, she goes to where he was staying and retrieves his video journals from Daniel Cassidy, who we learn is the Blue Devil. Abby and Matt follow her young patient who escapes from the hospital and goes to the swamp. They follow her into the swamp to find her, and Abby ends up encountering Swamp Thing. 
and gets saved by Swamp Thing because the young girl is actually being chased by this really creepy guy with a machete. And so we get to see Swamp Thing really try to save someone and help him, even though he's very, very confused about what's going on. This episode had some great horror elements, and it also has a lot of great practical effects in it. Swamp Thing himself looks awesome. He looks so great. And then the chase with the bad guy who was chasing the little girl with the machete was super suspenseful and really creepy because it's going through this dark swamp and you really just don't know what's going to happen. This episode had me on my toes and really wondering what was going to happen throughout the whole thing. You also start to really dislike a few of the characters in the town, knowing who the real villains are very, very early on in the show. And we get some other creepy stuff with there's some really mystical stuff going on in this town. So who knows what's going to happen? Well, thanks for listening to a geek girl's take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. For the week of July 4th, 2019, it's the ESO Network Con Report. Well, we've got a few conventions uh, this summer that you can find ESO Network folks at starting this weekend, July 4th through the 7th in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's Convergence. Uh, you can find the Flopcast crew of Kevin and Felicity, the mayor of Chickentown. Uh, they will both be attending Convergence, and they will both be uh, panelists at various times. Uh, I think they each got about four panels that they're participating in uh, separately. Uh, maybe there's some sort of rule they can't do it together. I don't know. But um, in any case, uh, they will be there. And so, um, and they've got some new Flopcast ribbons. So if you are keen on getting uh, badge ribbons, uh, check out the new Flopcast. I'm not going to spoil it, but it is uh, hilarious, kind of, um, that uh, that they've come up with for the Flopcast ribbon this year. Uh, so you, the, the, I believe Convergence is the debut of the Flopcast badge ribbon of the year. So, uh, so you can see it at Convergence in Minneapolis, July 4th through the 7th. And then the weekend after that, July 12th to the 14th, is Fanboy Expo, and that is in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, two folks that you can find there is, that are part of the network is uh, Richard from the PWR Spot Show. I believe he will be volunteering, so he will be behind the scenes uh, working and sweating. I hear it gets pretty hot in Knoxville uh, in July. So uh, so uh, you can see him there. Uh, reach out to him because if you need some help, uh, Grant, chances are he can assist you. And uh, our the movie guy, Alex Autry, here on the Earth Station One show, uh, he will be attending as well. Now, he's not going to be working. He's just going to be attending and getting as many autographs as possible. So uh, check out uh, Fanboy Expo to see those two guys. July 12th to the 14th is also here in Atlanta, the dates of the Atlanta Comic-Con. That is a big convention uh, devoted to comics and uh, pop culture. Lots of actors and and other folks attend that as well. Uh, Mike and I will be there on Saturday. We will be uh, hosting two panels. Um, We will be doing one in the morning on podcasting and one in the afternoon on the MCU and where things go from here. So uh, you want to check that out on Saturday. That's Saturday, July 13th. 
so yeah, it's Friday the 12th, 13th is when we're there. And then the 14th is uh, the last day of the Atlanta Comic Convention. And that is at the Georgia World Congress Center. Uh, a couple weeks after that, uh, July 28th, is the Atlanta Comic Convention, which is a one-day show that's held four times a year. And uh, it's a great show. It's a much smaller venue, but it's still a lot of fun as well. A lot of great talent. Uh, the award-winning Bobby Nash is always there. Uh, there's also a lot of good friends of the station that are there. And there's some good deals. So if you're looking for uh, bargains on trades or you want to see some uh, independent talent, uh, that's a good show to go to. So Mike and I will be there. We will not have a table, uh, but uh, we will be attending there and probably just shopping around. And uh, You probably won't see us together, though. Nope, nope, nope. No, not, not, not at that show. Not at all. Then in August, there are two events that we are very excited to be participating in, and that is uh, Mike and I. Uh, we will be attending the first ever Legion Comic Con. That is in Smyrna, Georgia. It is a one-day comic show, uh, August 3rd. And it is being, I believe, uh, being put on by Chris Hamer and some associates. Um, so you know that independent uh, comics is going to be well represented and it's probably going to uh, be a very, very fun show. Uh, Chris is a very fun guy. And if it's got his personality associated with it, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, this convention looks like. So I'm looking very much for looking forward to that. And then of course, at the end of August, August 29th through September 2nd, not a new show by any means, but one of our favorites that is Dragon Con. And if you want to find out more information about that, well, you need to listen to the Dragon Con Report, which we release every month. Uh, we just released our last episode in June, a couple weeks ago. Episode so, six. Yes. So seek that out. We've only got two more episodes before the big event. Uh, so we'll be recording uh, the one in July uh, pretty soon. And uh, yeah, that tells you everything you need to know. We've got a new segment on there devoted specifically to newbie questions. So, um, and even if you've been there several times, it's always cool to, um, you know, at various points of the convention, you're a newbie. So nobody's an expert or uh, familiar with every part of Dragon Con. Every part is a newbie to something, I think, or someone. I think, I don't know. Anyway, the Dragon Con, we're really excited by. So those are the conventions that you can find ESO Network folks at over the next two months. If there's a convention that you want us to rave about, help promote, participate in, please reach out to us because we love talking about conventions. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank our guests for being here tonight. Alan, thank you so, so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Always enjoyed it. It's always great. And congratulations on the new book. Thanks. Anything you want to shout out about real quick? Yeah, yeah. let me talk about that new book real fast. So uh, I just uh, I just published this book called Man Grooves. It's about a bluegrass band of monsters who solve Scooby-Doo style mysteries. It is a, uh, it's an illustrated middle grade novel. So I really designed it for, you know, kids between the ages of say nine and 13, but, um, uh, a handful of, uh, kids that I have, uh, sold it to, uh, their parents have read it and, uh, I've gotten a lot of great feedback from them too. So, so apparently it, it works for, uh, uh, for, for at least ladies up into their forties. <laughs> Um, haven't got any test, uh, test readers past that yet. So maybe we can find a few. Um, but yeah, man grooves, Alan, and W Barnes, please check it out. If you get a chance. 
That is awesome. It's always great just talking to you about many topics. <laughs> and of course, Rebecca, thank you so, so much as always. Oh, well, thank you for having me back. It's always uh, so much fun to be on the podcast. Anything you, anything you need to promote or shout out about? You know, I don't have much going on right now, uh, but uh, everyone, if they haven't already seen it, should go out and see the movie Yesterday. It's the new Danny Boyle film. It is absolutely just a brilliant film. That's on my list to see probably this weekend. You know, we got the long weekend coming up with the July 4th holiday here. And so we'll probably go see that sometime. It looks Uh, amazing. I have a feeling you will like it. And there's a few little, uh, I won't spoil anything, but there's some really funny moments. And there's a few moments that actually like made me openly weep in the theater. So. But we'll, right. we'll just, we can discuss it after you've seen it. <laughs> oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Can't wait to he- see and hear. I've heard rumors, but I'm trying to keep away from it. But thank you. Thank you. And of course, Mr. Mike Gordon. As always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about? I do. And I, you know, I know this is uh, the June is over and uh, it kind of passed us by on the show. And I just wanted to make sure we acknowledged it. Um in some form, but June, of course, was Pride Month, and uh, you know, unfortunately, we didn't have uh, one of our uh, LGBT shows with Darren on last month. But uh, it is something that we've thought about, and we'll probably correct in the future. But uh, we are, I, you know, I know that uh, uh, a lot of us here uh, are definitely, um, uh, certainly in favor of uh, all of uh, everything that that Pride Month stands for. Amen. And yes. um, very, very much so. And uh, you know, uh, it's it, it. You know, it's one of those things where even though we didn't acknowledge it in June, uh, and the fact that a lot of people did, doesn't mean that it's over. Uh, so um, the feelings that uh, you have, as far as pride goes, in, in your friends, your family, even strangers uh, that uh, that that are being oppressed, um, it needs to continue throughout the year and. Uh, and, and if anybody out there is uh, having an issue, uh, I hope they feel they can, they can reach out to anybody here on the station because they will always have a home here. Oh, ESO is all about diversity. And no matter what happens, we will have a voice for, you know, LGBT, trans, whatever, you know, you believe in or such. We are here to support you and you're never going to ever have to be worried about being judged or whatever. It's just not the way we do things here. And I will not allow that on our podcasts on any of them. That's just not our way. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, it's ridiculous. Some of these things that are coming out and it's getting harder and harder in this world to, you know, speak freely and such. And, we were supposed to be moving forward. It feels like we're taking five steps back half the time. And well, I was, I was, you know what you say that though, but I was really impressed by this month seeing how many, not just friends of mine that were, um, you know, uh, waving the pride flag, but actual companies and, and corporations that were embracing it as well. Um, you know, that was very well represented, um, uh, I thought. So, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that it's not, there's not a lot of work to be done because there is, but mm-hmm. I, I do feel like, um, I do feel like progress is being made. Well, and hopefully they continue to, to wave that, uh, everyone continues to wave that flag, not just in the month of June, 
Exactly. But all year long, not just, you know, Absolutely. Don't, don't just post it on your Facebook page that, yeah, you know, this no, is Pride it, Month. It would be great to see these buildings that had all the colors up and such for Pride Month, keep it up all year round instead of just over the month. Put your money where your mouth is. and <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I agree completely. I agree completely. All right. My shout out is actually talking all about Neil Gaiman, who we've been talking about quite a bit this evening with the opening segment about Vertigo and then also with our main topic. So big shout out, supposedly using air quotes, uh, (laughs) Netflix is just announced as of yesterday that they are bringing Sandman to Netflix. And that's how a lot of people got introduced to Neil and a lot of people through their DC comics. And we've done even for the ESO book club, we did hit the first Sandman book. And I want to believe (laughs) I want to believe too, but there's been almost 30 years of Sandman coming to the screen in one way or another. And people like Johnny Depp have been touched with it. And people like, you know, what was his name? The guy from, Third Rock from the Sun. Oh, you know. Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, he was attached to it for a while. It just, you know, keeps on coming and coming and coming, and we just hope it's done. But from what the budget is, it's going to be the most expensive DC project to this date for TV. Well, I'm already going to throw out my uh, pick as uh, Tom Hiddleston for Dream, so... <laughs> is it is it too soon to uh, start a petition for Amazon to cancel it? <laughs> I don't think so. You know, the thing that gives me hope about this one is uh, they they announced that Gaiman's actually going to be one of the executive producers on it, right? Yes, yes. This time Neil is actually involved with it. I don't so. know. I don't know. I don't know. I think in the sense that they're like, "Hey, can we make this?" and he probably said, "Okay." But, you know, maybe now with the success of um, Good Omens, Good Omens and, you know, that he and I know he didn't he also have a hand in Lucifer. I think well, so. I mean, that's, that's or the comic, I think, was or I, I thought he had something to do with the show. Well, um, technically, because Lucifer was spun off of Sandman. Yeah. Yes. So maybe that may, you know, he maybe has higher hopes and that that people will treat his work with a little more respect. And so. So, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with it. So fingers crossed, toes crossed, all everything, you know, I think it's pretty awesome, though. And also, Neil Gaiman related, uh, if you're a fan of Doctor Who, tomorrow, as of this recording, we are going to be recording our station Who, and we are going to be talking all about the Doctor's wife. So it's just Neil Gaiman week here at the station. (laughs) So pretty darn awesome. So we didn't plan it this way, folks. It just happened to happen that way. No, no, no. The stars we aligned. It. We planned it. This is this is uh, this is years in the making planning. <laughs> you give us too much credit, Mike Gordon. You do. So I try. So I try. I know. I know. I know. But join us again next week when we are a little more organized and we are going to be going back to the movies again because we are going to be talking all about Spider-Man: Far From Home. That's right. We are going to be talking about the final chapter of the fourth phase of the Marvel MCU. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you Well, know, until five years from now and they'll reboot it again. Of course they will. 
that's what they always do. And this time they'll reboot it with the Fantastic Four and the X and Deadpool and everything. So it should be interesting to see what happens. But until then, my name is Mike Faber. Let's swing away and we will talk to you then. Peace. And we're done. Boom. All right. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.